glad you're here today. Good morning. Thank you for being with us in worship on Easter. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into this story together. Father, thank you for your grace, and um, thank you for your kindness that you have uh, made yourself known to us through the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Thank you for this story, a beautiful story, a, a true story, and we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would use it to minister to our frail and fragile and unbelieving and weak and hard hearts. We pray that you would soften us to the great love that you have for us in and through Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, help us to experience the power of the resurrection this morning uh, because we have died in Christ already and are a new creation. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Uh, at the risk of starting off an Easter sermon by sounding morbid, the first thing I want to talk about before we talk about life is death. Um, I wonder how many of you have encountered death before. That's something we don't like to talk about in our culture, perhaps less than any culture in the history of the world do we like to talk about death. But do any of you remember perhaps your first time seeing someone die? Some of you may have never yet seen that, yet I know that many of us have been present perhaps at the death of a loved one or someone dear to us. I remember uh, early in my ministry as a pastor uh, receiving a phone call that a man in our church had died very, very suddenly. And uh, I rushed to the home of this family and was walking towards the front door when I noticed the man actually lying dead in his front yard garden in the dirt. Uh, and, and I'll never forget the shock of that. The color of death is horrible. And the feel of death is just so icy. And I also remember watching uh, as the undertakers came to take the body away, and this for me was a second shock. <laughs> um, it's not that they were rough with the body, but they were certainly businesslike. And uh, they spread out a rubber sheet on the floor, and, and they hoisted the body of this man off the ground and down onto the sheet, and they wrapped it up, and, and they carried it off like it was nothing more than a sack of garden mulch. Uh, and an hour before, I thought, there had been a live human being who was working and thinking and breathing, and now there was nothing but an object to be disposed of as quickly as possible. Death. Death's a reality. It's a reality for every person who has ever lived. Death's something that we cannot avoid. And when you encounter death, the only thing we can think is, that is my enemy. That's my enemy. And death seems to pervade and even overwhelm life at times. I know it has for the last year plus in our country. William Shakespeare in his great play Macbeth put it like this. Shakespeare wrote, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. We don't like to consider death, but we must ask, what are we going to do about death? What are we going to do about its reality? What are we going to do about its power? What are you going to do about your own death? Happy Easter. Welcome to Christ Church. Easter gives us the answer to death. Easter is about the undoing of death, which has been accomplished in Jesus' 
resurrection from the dead, and which we also experience through connecting with Jesus and being raised from the dead as well. John 11 is not formally a story about Jesus' resurrection, but it's about Jesus raising his beloved friend, Lazarus. But make no mistake about it, this is an Easter story, a resurrection story, and it's also probably my favorite story in the Bible, and I get to pick what I want to preach on on Easter, because I'm the pastor, and so this is what I picked. You're welcome. John 11. Um, I love the way John tells the story, and I love the intent of the story. John's gospel throughout reminds us of why he wrote these things. He tells us at the end of the gospel, he wrote this, that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's conquered death, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So let's summarize the main idea. Here's what I want you to believe this Easter. Jesus' resurrection overcomes the sadness of death for everyone who will entrust themselves to him. Jesus' resurrection overcomes the sadness of death for everyone who will entrust themselves to him. Let's look at this in three parts. First, the sadness of death. Secondly, the resurrection and the life. Third, the leap of faith. First, the sadness of death. Jay read, verse one, gives us the context for this story. Jesus' very close friend, Lazarus, who is the brother of Mary and Martha, is very ill. Uh, Jesus loves this family. Verse 5, he loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. And, and it turns out that Lazarus, in fact, is, is so sick that he ends up dying. There's no doctor that can help him. There's no medicine that can heal him. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 14 that Lazarus has died. And when Jesus finally gets to Bethany, the village that they were from, in verse 17, Lazarus has already been buried for four days. So the story is, is really pretty somber, uh, the pallor, the, the cast of death is surrounding this story. Think about that. Picture Lazarus in your mind's eye. He's a young man, undoubtedly one, that died far too early. And, and there's great sadness in this story. There's mourning all through it. There's tears all through it. Joy, John repeatedly points us to the sadness of the sisters. He tells us in verse 19 that the entire community, in fact, Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Everyone is heartbroken. They're heartbroken over what's happened. Lazarus has been ripped out of his sister's lives by the enemy, death. Lazarus has been ripped out of this community by death. It's sad. But there's more to the sadness of Mary and Martha. They're sad that they've lost their brother for sure, but I think that they're perhaps even more sad that Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't there when he died. Did you notice when the two sisters encounter Jesus separately, they say to him the exact same thing. Martha runs out to meet him on his way into town in verse 21, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary had hung back. But later she says, she hears the master wants to speak with you. So Mary goes out and sees him. And in verse 32, repeats what her sister had said. Lord, where were you? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This is like one of those stories that we might see in film or read about in which we expect the hero to come and rescue at the last moment and make everything okay, but he doesn't come or he fails. It's it's like Avengers Endgame, really. By the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that, just earmuffs real quick. I'm about to ruin it. You know, Avengers is 
Thanos is there. He's taking over the world. All he needs is one more infinity stone, and you're just planning on one of the Avengers to kill him. Is it going to be Iron Man? Is it going to be Captain America? Who's going to take out Thanos? But he gets the last stone. He snaps, and everyone dies. Well, half the world. I guess that's not that bad. Only three billion people die, and um, the Avengers lose. And I remember watching that in the theater back when we went to movie theaters. You remember that? And uh, we were in a movie theater, and it's just like, the air left the room. That's how it felt. It's, it's where you expect the hero to win, but the opposite happens, and your balloon is burst. That's, that's the sense of this story. That's the feeling and visceral reality that Mary and Martha have. Where was Jesus? And, and frankly, if we read the story carefully and if we're honest with ourselves, you should be an honest Bible reader. It makes sense. Mary and Martha have a point. Where was Jesus? I mean, look in verse 6. They come and they tell him, hey, your good buddy Lazarus is sick. And then John says, verse 6, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he rushed straight to Bethany. That's not what it says. It says he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, 48 more hours. It, it seems like Jesus is intentionally delaying going to help. Even though he knows Lazarus is sick, what is that about? If, if he can help, why doesn't he help? So Mary and Martha have got to be thinking, at the moment I needed you, God, you were not there. You were a day late and a dollar short. That's unquestionably a part of their sadness. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. If you're honest enough in your own spiritual journey to admit to God, God, where in the world are you? If you had only been here, if you had only been here, God, I wouldn't have lost my child. God, if you cared and had gotten here in time, I wouldn't have lost my business. God, if you cared and had only been here, I, I wouldn't have lost my marriage. Where was God? Where was God when I needed him? Where was God when I was hurting? That, that might be a question you've asked before. That might be a question you're asking right now. Oftentimes, holidays like Christmas, and Easter bring up past wounds and past pains, and we begin to ask ourselves those questions again. Where is God? Has God forgotten me? Does God care about my sadness? Does God care about my hurt? The story tells us God does care. We see that throughout the text. For, for one, Jesus, amazingly in this story, seems to know exactly what's going on the whole time. It's as if he's orchestrating this entire scene. In verse 4, he says, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He's orchestrating these events, he says, to God's glory that we may believe. James Baldwin, an African-American theologian, reflecting on the, American, the African-American struggle in the United States, writes this. The Lord never seems to get there when you want him, but when he arrives, he's always right on time. The Lord never seems to get there when you want him, but when he arrives, he's always right on time. Jesus speaks about caring, but, but there's more evidence in this story that God cares. He cares about your sadness and your hurt right now. The major proof in this story that God cares is that, listen, Jesus is deeply saddened at the death of Lazarus. Look at verse 33. John tells us there that Jesus was deeply 
moved in his spirit. In fact, he tells us that twice in the span of about eight verses. And that's a very powerful phrase. That doesn't just mean that Jesus was sad or that he was hurt. It goes much further. It's hard to translate into English. It's a combination of anger and outrage and sadness and disgust. It's that deep guttural feeling where you think this should not be. Something is deeply wrong here. He's forlorn over the reality of death in the world. And then John tells us, Shortest verse in the Bible. You can memorize it right here with me. Verse 35, Jesus what? Wept. Jesus wept. The the word cry is used a lot in this chapter, but here it's a different verb, a stronger verb. Jesus isn't just kind of, it's misty in here. Jesus is, he's bawling. Jesus is, he's ugly crying. God cries. God, God cries at the reality of death. God cries at our sadness. The ancient father, Potamius of Lisbon, put it like this, God wept, moved by the tears of mortals. That is such a remarkable thing. This is so unique to the Christian story. Here's what the real God is like. The story tells us. He is not calloused And he is not careless when it comes to our suffering, when it comes to our sadness, even when it comes to our own deaths. Now, God himself is deeply moved. He's deeply troubled. He's deeply saddened at every single hurt and wound and pain that every single one of you have ever experienced. That's hard for some of us to believe because some of us worship a two-dimensional Jesus, A Jesus that we can pray to when things are hard, a Jesus that we can read about in the Bible, but a Jesus that is not really that real to us. This is the real Jesus. This is the full Jesus. This story shows us Jesus' heart, God's heart. Jesus, listen, Jesus is more gently and lovingly present with you in your sadness and sorrow and weeping than at any other time. The deeper into weakness and suffering and sadness we go, the deeper is Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and into anguish, we're descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. God weeps along with your weeping. God's concern for the circumstances and the situations that pain you. God grieves over the reality of sadness and and the reality of death and God's sadness and anger at death provoke him to do something about it. To do something about it, which is what we see next. We see the sadness of death and then we see the resurrection and the life. Jesus actually does two things in this story, both of which are awesome, that demonstrate his power over death. First, he speaks about defeating death, powerfully so, and then he demonstrates that he's going to defeat death. So first, look, Jesus speaks about defeating death. Just a second ago, I said it seems like Jesus is in control the whole time here. It seems like that because it turns out he is in control the whole time. He knows exactly what's going on. In his encounter with Martha, and specifically in response to her question about, hey, where were you, Jesus? Jesus says, verse 23, your brother's going to rise again. Trust me. And Martha, being a good, orthodox, 
theological Jew says, yeah, I know he's going to rise at the last day, at the resurrection, at the end of time, but your theological truism doesn't really help me right now, Jesus. Wish you had showed up a few days earlier. And Jesus says, no, 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 Martha, Martha, you don't get it. I am the resurrection. I am the life. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. Verse 26, whoever believes in me, though he or she died, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Listen, this is the heart of Easter. It's the heart of the Christian story. Jesus can tell Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Because Jesus knows that he himself is going to conquer death. That's the key point. Jesus is able to give resurrection and life to those of us who have to suffer the sadness of death because Jesus rose to life physically, literally, bodily himself. Jesus defeated death in his resurrection. Jesus drove death away for good. Jesus took away death's dominion. So death does not have the last word in this story, in our story, in this world. Jesus has the last word, and the last word is life. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, writing about the resurrection says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, but each in its own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his own coming, those who belong to Christ, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Easter means that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, defeats death in his resurrection. And if you are connected to Jesus through trust, you defeat death along with him. He speaks about defeating death. Then he demonstrates that he will defeat death. It's my favorite part. Look at the end. Verse 39 through the end of the chapter, through the end of the story. Um, Jesus has wept. Lazarus has been dead four days. And now Jesus, he's got his, the, the sisters, his friends with him. They go to Lazarus' tomb, and Jesus says, it's almost kind of, I read this as just kind of nonchalant. Okay, take away the stone. And um, Martha, ever the busybody, still doesn't really get it. She's like, Jesus, um, verse 39, by this time there will be an odor, or the key, King James, best translation here, by this time he stinketh. By this time he stinketh. And Jesus says, his stinkethness will not drive me away, nor will his death. Move the stone away, Martha. And so they begin to move the stone away, and Jesus prays, and he says very simply, very simply, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? The grip of death is loosened, the shadow of death vanishes, Lazarus gets up, and he comes out. And he doesn't come out as a mummy, he doesn't come out as a white walker, he doesn't come out as a zombie. He's Lazarus, he's alive, he's healthy. And Jesus says, verse 42, unbind him and let him go. And then he moves on to his next thing as if it's the easiest thing in the world to raise a four-day dead guy back to life. It reminds me of trying to wake my kids up in the morning. If you have teenagers, I don't yet have teenagers, although, my goodness, we're very close. Sometimes it's quite a challenge to get them to arise. It's almost like what Jesus does here with Lazarus. But actually, my children have always been relatively early risers, and they're fairly easy to get out of bed. Normally, I just have to, you know, come up onto the bed and uh, put my hand on them gently on their head and say, okay, it's time to get up, and they'll get up. 
And I think that's the picture that we want to see here with what Jesus does. It's, it's as if it's as easy for Jesus to raise someone from the dead as it is for you to wake a child from sleep. Jesus can do this because Jesus is going to overcome death too. It's a, it's a proto-resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection looks to Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' resurrection empowers his resurrection of Lazarus. Listen, do you understand what this story means for you? This isn't just an interesting Bible tale for you to do your Christian duty and hear when you come to church on Easter Sunday. No, the Holy Spirit intends for this story to actually do something in your life, to actually have an impact in your heart. This story means that because Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead, because Jesus has conquered death, he is going to raise you from the dead. He is going to conquer death for you, which is why Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, and the dead in Christ will rise. He says in Ephesians 5, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The story means that because Jesus Christ is risen, nothing can defeat or conquer us. Because Jesus Christ is risen, nothing can defeat us. Jesus takes away the stone. He takes away the stone of death. Jesus takes away the stone of, of loss. He takes away the stone of sadness and the stone of injustice. He takes away the stone of evil. Jesus wins. We will live again. The world will be made whole again. We will walk into a new world in resurrection again with Jesus himself. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. Here's the truth, friends. Death is an enemy. And death is a reality that all of us deserve. But because of the love of God, in Jesus' resurrection, we get life and not death. The good news of Easter, the good news of Christianity is something we would never have discovered on our own. We would never have discovered it unless Jesus had come and shown us the true character of God. Everything within us tells us that this universe must be organized according to the principle of you get what you deserve. That's the way our businesses work, that's the way our lives work, that's the way our schools work, but that's not the way God works. God is not simply the projection of your imagination about what he's like. He's different from anything we could have imagined, and he gives us something we could never have deserved, the forgiveness of sin through Jesus' death the embrace of his love and his victory over death through his resurrection. So do you know God's love? Do you know it, seen in Jesus' resurrection? Do you know Jesus? That's what this story asks you to consider. How can you get to know him? Third, the leap of faith, real quick. The story of Christianity and the true story of the world, the true story of your life is that God loves you so much he gave you himself. He loves you so much, even though you're a sinner and a rebel, he gave you himself in the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that you can be pardoned and so that you can overcome death. And so the only question left is how, how are we to respond to this? What does it mean for you? What difference does it make in your life that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? 
The text, the story makes it super clear. Jesus speaks of the response he expects of us again and again. What is it? It's to trust him. Trust Jesus. To believe. Look look at what he says in verse 15. He says he's going to do this miracle for your sake that you may believe. Verse 40, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Verse 42, I said this on account, Jesus prays, of the people standing around, that they may believe. And finally, and and perhaps most poignantly, look at Jesus' words to Martha. He tells her, I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm going to conquer death. And everyone who trusts me is going to conquer death too. And then he asks her a question. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's the response. The response is to leap into faith. But faith in Jesus is not blind. You're not leaping with a blindfold around your head off of some cliff. It's not at all risky. It's not at all risky for you to entrust yourself to Jesus. In fact, it's far and away the most reasonable path for you to take. So I have to ask every one of you, just as the Holy Spirit asked me this Easter morning, do you believe this? That's the call that the Spirit of God is giving us. What does it look like for you to believe? Three quick steps. First, acknowledge the sadness of death. Acknowledge the sadness of death in your life. Acknowledge the reality of sin in your life. Our lives are a mess. All of us are a mess. Welcome. We're glad you're here. God fixes messes. Bad things happen to us, and we have done bad things because of our sin, because of our rebellion. We're separated from God. We're living in darkness. Believing means we acknowledge that. It means we confess it. Secondly, you trust Jesus' death and resurrection. He died to forgive you and to dispel the darkness. He rose to give you life and to defeat death. So to trust him is not just to give him intellectual assent, to say, huh, interesting point, Jesus. It's to cast your full life into him and all that he is for you. The third step is to commit to Jesus Christ as king. Following and serving and obeying Jesus is the only possible response to the king, to the conqueror of death. And it's the best possible life for all of us. Jesus' resurrection overcomes the sadness of death for any of you, for any of you who will entrust yourself to him. Just as Jesus asked Martha, So he asks you, do you believe this? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your love and goodness to us. Thank you that you have um, sent your son to die uh, as the lamb, as the the sacrifice, as an atoning uh, ransom who makes us clean and pure. Thank you, God, that you have raised Jesus through the power of the Spirit into new resurrection life and that Because that is true, he will defeat and conquer all of our enemies, including death. God, help us, please, to entrust our lives to his good and powerful care. Help us to see him for who he is, a a God who loves us so so deeply that he was willing to take upon himself um, the shame and wrath that we deserved, and he was willing to include us in his own victory over death. So, So Jesus... Please, by your spirit, move in us that we might see you and trust you and and love you.
And God, we pray that this Easter would be one in which we experience in a fresh way the the transformative life that you have in yourself flowing into us by free grace. So give us faith to sense and see and believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, the resurrection and the life. We pray these things in his name. Amen.